Hello, and welcome back to Voices of the Valley Flora and Fauna. This is Soleil and Ramona Gaylord, and we are happy to welcome back Eric Hines, who is a local naturalist and professional bird tour leader. Thanks for having me back. Our diary entry this week covers another of our fine feathered friends, you might guess, the owl. Owls have captured the imagination of humans throughout history. They show up everywhere from ancient mythology to modern day books and movies like Harry Potter. Most people can probably identify an owl when they see one because of their huge eyes. But what exactly makes a bird an owl? What else about an owl makes it special? Firstly, they are in the order Strigiformes, which includes two families, and there are over 200 species globally. Owls are chiefly, but not strictly, nocturnal, and are also considered raptors, which are classified by their talons. So, Eric, how many species are there in North America, and what species might we expect here in Colorado and in Telluride? There are 19 species of owls in North America that regularly occur. There are a few records for other species as well, but those are individual, rare vagrants from Asia or places like that. But 19 regularly occurring ones. Here in Colorado, we've got 11 species of owls that occur regularly. There's the barn owl which you see out in farm fields and in the, more in the plains and desert areas, prairies. They don't really occur here in this particular region. Um, there's long-eared owl as a breeding species and also wintering. Short-eared owls visit Colorado in the winter primarily. There are a few breeding records, but not many. Um, a common one is great horned owl. At higher elevation, you can get the rare boreal owl. Also, we have northern sawwood owls. And also out in the prairies, the burrowing owl. And then as a migrant, just in the breeding season, there's the tiny insect-eating flammulated owl. We also have western screech owls. And in the eastern part of the state, there are some eastern screech owls also, and northern pygmy owl. And then here in Telluride, we've got two species that are fairly common. Um, the nocturnal one is the great horned owl. And during the day, there's actually a diurnal species, an active during the day species, the northern pygmy owl. And actually, I have a little story that um, relates to this northern pygmy owl. And right here uh, in KOTO, our station manager, Ben, uh, said, oh, you guys are doing a story on owls. Well, I have an owl story that just happened a couple days ago. So Ben was out in his yard, and he looked up in his tree near his feeder, and he saw an image of a bird, a silhouette that was puffier and more stout than any bird he'd really ever seen. And he's looking at it, and he tells us, wasn't quite sure what it was, and then I saw his head turn to the right and flip around and look at me, and then to the left and nearly turning the whole way around, and he said, oh my, he thought to himself, that must be an owl, but it's daytime, and just as he was thinking, that's an owl, this little guy came from the tree and zoomed right past him, he said it went right by his leg, and uh, clipped over to his bird feeder and took out a chickadee and he walked up to the owl that was still on the ground and having a fine feast of a chickadee. So Eric, these are our diurnal or daytime owls, right? Yeah, the tiny little northern pygmy owl, which is smaller than a soda can, is primary food are birds. You think of owls eating mice and things like that, but northern pygmy owls primarily eat other birds, so they're active during the day. Cool. Well, keep your eyes open, not only in the uh, night if you can, but during the day. So, Eric, 
Um, I have another question for you. Um, when you look at an owl, you notice that it has very large eyes. Um, they have extraordinary vision and night vision. And how do these eyes work for the owls and how big are they in comparison to their head? That's a great question. Yes, the eyes are very conspicuous. Um, in fact, they occupy most of the skull. Um, to put it into perspective, if our eyes were as large as an owl's eyes in our skull, our eyes would be the size of grapefruits. Wow. <laughs> so they are massive, um, which doesn't leave a whole lot of room for other things in their skull. Uh, in fact, one of the adaptations they've evolved is they have no olfactory gland. Um, they don't need a sense of smell to find their prey. They have their exceptional vision, and we'll talk more about their hearing in a little bit. But without an olfactory gland, they don't have a sense of smell. So great horned owls are well-documented um, preying on skunks. Um, they don't mind the smell. Um, so they need that room for those massive eyes. And there's a couple other things that are really special about those eyes. Um, they have a much higher concentration of rods. So our eyes detect both, we have rods and cones in our eyes, and they each have a specialized role in our vision. Cones primarily help us detect color. Rods are focused on light gathering and detail. So something like a great horned owl could easily read a newspaper at night across the street line on the ground. Um, they have that exceptional light gathering capabilities and can render um, excellent details. Um, so when these eyes are so large in their head, they don't really have a whole lot of room for muscles to move the eyes either. And so people often talk about how owls will spin their head. Well, birds in general have a higher number of vertebrae in their cervical spine than humans do. And so if they can't move their eyeballs, there's no room for muscles up there, they actually rotate their head. And a bird can rotate its neck, its head around 270 degrees. So if an owl turned its head to the left, it can go all the way around till it's looking over its right shoulder. Whereas we just have about 180 here, if we're lucky, right? Doing our yoga classes. <laughs> exactly. Some of us better than others with that flexibility, but um, an owl to turn around and see behind it, it has to spin its head around because it can't move its eyeballs in its head. Um, it's, they're that large. Um, so I was wondering about the face discs of the owl. Do those also assist in the owl's vision? Uh, great question. The, the facial disc has feathers that rotate out around the eyes, but that actually is an adaptation for their hearing. Um, as predators, they detect their prey by their exceptional vision, but also by their very acute hearing. And so that facial disc helps funnel the sound to their ears. And something else that's special about owl's ears, for many species, their, their ear openings are asymmetrical, meaning they're offset vertically. So for most of us, they should, your ear openings should, should be, be the same height on your skull, on a normal human skull. On an, a lot of owl species, one ear opening is higher than the other. So that allows them to essentially hear three-dimensionally. So they can not only detect where a sound is coming from, but they can do up and down and how far away. And so there, there's been some research looking at owls, uh, particularly a species called the barn owl, in captivity and in the total absence of light, they were able to detect and capture mice in a laboratory setting without any vision whatsoever. When all the lights was completely dark, they could still, their hearing was so acute, they could pinpoint the location of the mouse without sight. Very cool. Wow, that's incredible. Um, so my last question for you is the feathers of the owl. Um, they have to come up on their prey pretty quietly. So are they specifically designed to muffle flapping sounds, or is there any special adaptations of their 
wings and feathers. Yeah, that's another great point. Um, there, there are very special aspects. So the flight feathers, the primaries and the secondaries, the feathers on their outer part of their wing, if you look very carefully at the structure of it, the trailing edge of it has a serrated edge, and that helps muffle the sound that's leaving the tip of the wing. And then the top surface of it, if you could feel an owl's feather, it's very velvety, it's very soft. And again, both those structural aspects to the feathers help minimize any sound. So not only does an owl have a great ability to detect prey, but then when they go into their dive to pounce on that prey item, their flight approaching it is almost completely silent so that the prey does not detect them coming. So that's really different than like a hawk, a bird, a raptor type bird that's going for its prey. You can really hear those guys when they're fla flapping by. They have a completely different wing, right? Yes, and a, or the extreme example would be something that's big and heavy like a goose or a swan or a sandhill crane. When they fly over, you can actually hear their wing beats. Ducks, same thing. They have a very audible wing beat. So, you know, the whistling, in fact, there's a duck called the common golden eye. Its old name is the whistler the golden whistler, because they have a very loud, distinctive flapping, and you will not hear that when an owl is in flight. Not at all. All these cool adaptations and things about owls makes a person really want to go out and see if they can find one or hear one at, at the night. And um, I know if you're interested in trying to see or hear them, now is the time to actually go out early in the morning, or as birders call it, the pre-dawn hours before the sun rises or after the sun sets in the evening. It's a great time to listen for our local inhabitant, the great horn owl, because actually February is the beginning of their breeding season, and Eric told me this the other day. It seems just so cold right now, but there is a good reason for them to get a jump start on, on their breeding season, and Eric, tell us a little about that. Sure, so in the summertime, we have small songbirds that arrive back, the migrants are here. Their life cycle is very quick, but for a large bird like a great horned owl, it just takes simply takes a while, so they'll be incubating for almost a month. And then from there, it's almost two months of feeding a chick at the nest site before they're able to fledge. And so by the time they leave the nest site, those owlets have had three months at the nest itself. And so if you get started now, in February. You've got a lot of time. You've got time for that to grow and then so they're fledging in the summertime when prey is abundant and they have a better chance of surviving on their own because eventually they get kicked out of the territory by their parents. And they've got to go fend for themselves. So that again is very different than let's say my little courtier and flycatcher who lays her eggs and within a couple of two or three weeks the the fledglings are out of the nest. They, they hatch and develop very quickly and the owls take a much longer time. Indeed, they do, yeah. So right now is the pair bonding and courtship season for great horned owls. So if you're out at night, if you're up early or out at night, keep your ear out for great horned owls. And I played that earlier. I'll play it again right now. This is the hooting, the courtship or pair bonding call of the great horned owl. Classic. Thank you. And I have another question relating to this guy, this great horned owl. So this summer, I went out with my girlfriend, Denise Mongan, and she had alerted me to owls in the neighborhood. And so it was late August and in the evening, and I, she had seen several of them coming close into her house on Willow Street and asked me to come and listen with her. And uh, also Corey here at the radio station had mentioned he lives up near Tomboy and he had heard a lot of screeching sounds this summer, say in August. And 
uh, again, this was in the evening and on into the early morning hours of the morning. What do you suppose these guys, the screeching sound, what, was, what were these uh, people, the residents of Telluride, hearing this last summer? Well, I suspect what they were hearing is this call, and I'll play it for you. So that sound there is a begging call. What they were hearing is the, the fledglings, those owlets, the young owls that came from the pair that live here in Telluride that had young. Those kids don't want to go out on their own. Um, everyone gets kicked oh. out of, uh, at some point on their own, but they're, they're, they've been growing up their whole lives so far being fed by their parents. And so they're begging. That's that begging call telling them, I'm hungry, mom, dad, feed me, bring me another mouse, please. And they'll continue to do that sometimes even into the fall. So even into uh, September, October, even late as November, you'll hear a juvenile great horned owl giving that begging call, hoping to be fed again. But there's only so many prey items in a territory, so the mom and the dad stop feeding the kids, and they have to go find their own place to live. Is that maybe the reason that they were coming up so close, like on the fences and in the backyards, and people were seeing them just at, you know all around town, a pretty fairly close range? Sure, yeah, there's, you know, the expression young and dumb, those kids don't know any better yet. Okay. They haven't been scared off by people, so the adults are much more cautious, and those young birds, if they're going to survive, need to learn that eventually. But when they're just hungry and they want to be fed, they're going to be very conspicuous. Can you play that screech one more time for sure. us? Sure. Just so the folks that heard it. Yeah, so it won't be, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if people start hearing that particular call. Or there's another one that's a little different here, too, that you'll probably start hearing these calls second half of the summer. Okay. Yeah. And those are, again, begging calls, not the classic hoot of the parents. Lovely. We will keep our ears tuned. And on that note, not, not only listening to KOTO, but also to our fine-feathered owl friends out there, stay tuned, and thank you for listening to Voices of the Valley Flora and Fauna, and thank you, Ben, Corey, and Eric. Thank you.